This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So whenever I think that I have a really hard job, a really busy job, and my boss is really demanding and unreasonable and, and mean, and which happens, you know, at least once a week, I think of a guy like Gary Haugen. Now, if you know who Gary Haugen is, he is the CEO and founder of IJM, or International Justice Mission, which is a Christ-centered, biblically-based ministry to free people from slavery and human trafficking. And according to the figures I could gather, they're involved in at least 16 different countries. They have a budget of $52 million um, and 750 employees who are all uh, Orthodox Christians from different traditions. And Haugen leads this ministry. And you may wonder, so how does a guy like that stay centered and focused? Well, every staff person must begin their day with 30 minutes of silence and prayer before the Lord. It's part of their job. And then um, Haugen says, and I quote, prayerless striving leads only to exhaustion. It has been crucial to settle my soul in the presence of Jesus every morning. He says it's tempting to hurry into work, and as I'm saying, he's got a lot of work to do. So uh, just, I believe last year alone, they liberated 9,000 victims of human trafficking. He says it's tempting to hurry into this work, but we spend time intentionally connecting with our maker, the God who delights to restore his children. Now, I love that as a pattern not only for just a certain kind of job, and, and that's maybe kind of dramatic and splashy and, and exciting, but for the work that the Lord has given any of us to do, I love that as a template, no matter what we do, that our doing for Jesus flows from our being with Jesus, as Gary Haugen models so well. And again, no matter what you're doing is, your main doing, whether you're a plumber or a lawyer or you're an IT, in IT security or medicine or teacher or parent or retired person or whatever, that you're doing for Jesus flows from being with Jesus. So that's the theme I want to press into from this gospel text and kind of a broader context of this gospel text on this first Sunday of, of Advent. And so turn with me in, in the Bibles in front of you to page, um, I think, 849 to Mark chapter 13. Because in Mark chapter, because the church always, the church begins the first Sunday of Advent with the second coming of Jesus, which might seem counterintuitive, but it actually makes a lot of sense. So Jesus in this chapter 13, in seven different times, in different ways, he tells us the same message, be on your guard or stay awake. So uh, if you have your Bibles open, look with me at verse 9. Verse 9 of chapter, Mark chapter 13, be on your guard. Verse 23 of Mark chapter 13, be on your guard. Uh, verse 33, Jesus says, be on your guard, and then he adds, keep awake. At the end of verse 34, stay awake. Verse 35, therefore stay awake. And then verse 37, Jesus says, in case you didn't hear me the first six times, let me just say it again, and let me just say it to everybody. Make sure you all hear this. Stay awake. It's like 
Your spiritual life depends on this one thing. Staying awake. There's an urgency to it, and there's an urgency for all of us. Like, no Christian is exempt from this. Nobody gets a pass from this. Now, notice that the context of Mark chapter 13 is the second coming of Jesus. Verses 26 to 27. And then when they, they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now, the church has always had this, I mean, it's just really obvious that, that there's this contrast between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. The first coming of Jesus, Jesus comes in great weakness and vulnerability. He comes as like a little tiny baby. He, and before that, he was a fetus, and before that, he was a zygote. And so, and, and now as a little baby in the manger, he could have been stepped on. I mean, a cow could have stepped on him and crushed his skull. That's how vulnerable he was. And as Tim Keller liked to say before his death, he liked to say, only the God of Christianity is a God who has become physically vulnerable, woundable. That is an amazing thing. But then in the second coming, you notice the contrast. He doesn't come in vulnerability. He doesn't come in weakness. He comes in power. He comes in strength. He comes in might. He comes to reign. He comes to judge. And, and the church has always loved that on the first Sunday of Advent to like throw that contrast out there because we all know we're heading into Christmas, but first of all, well, wait, wait, let's pause and remember that this God who became weak and vulnerable for us and for our salvation is also the God of power and the God of true justice. History is not, as Shakespeare famously wrote, a tale told by idiots, an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Instead, it's a history is a plot. It has an end. It has a goal. It has a resolution. Revelation chapter 22, where there is a, a, a river that flows from the throne of God, and there's a tree, and the tree, the leaves of the tree will be for the healing of the nations. So there is a goal. There is an end, and the second coming ushers in that goal. So the second coming is focused not on something, not on some historical process, but on a person. Verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, if Jesus was just some ordinary guy, some good teacher, like, who says things like that? Like, you will hear lots of words in your life, but only my words will not pass away. Like, my words that I speak today, they're going to pass away. I'm going to pass away. I'm going to be dead. We're all going to be dead. My words will pass away. But Jesus says, my words will not pass away. You don't say that kind of stuff unless you're insane or you're arrogant or you're egotistical or you're a God in human flesh. So the words make sense. Think of that, though. Think of all the words you're going to hear all day, all week. Think of all the words you hear in your life, all the words you hear from TV, if, you watch, if you're going to watch football today, you'll listen to the announcers, you'll watch the advertisements, you'll see hundreds of ads, you'll see, you, if you go to school, you'll hear your teachers talk, if you go to work, your co-workers are on social media, news feed, and you just hear a Niagara flood of words just constantly pouring. But Jesus said they'll all pass, pass away. But do this, give your utmost attention, your first attention, your best effort to my words, 
because they will not pass away. So, as we're going to get to in a minute, Advent is about, especially about carving out time so I can hear those words, so I can read those words, so I can remember those words. And if that's true, that his words will not pass away, then it's worth struggling and maybe even failing and maybe even not doing it super well, but you're at least trying to carve out space to listen to those words. So as I was reading this passage and I'm reading, you know, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, be on your guard, be on your guard, be on your guard, it's a little frustrating, so I was working on this sermon, and I'm going, but Jesus never tells us how to do that, or so it seems. Like, okay, so how, Jesus? You give us these, you, know, you just kind of hammer us with these instructions and this warning, but it's like, how do we do this, Jesus? So I'll get to that in a minute, but let me just ratchet up the tension a little bit, because he told us not only to do it seven times, but he told us it's going to be really hard to do it. So back up with me in, in Mark chapter 13 where Jesus says this, he says, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. In other words, Jesus is saying, you know, things are going to unravel. Things are going to get, they might get worse. And so history is a cycle of things getting better, things getting terrible, things getting good, things getting worse. And we go through seasons of, of shaking and seasons of upheaval and seasons of chaos. And that's what Jesus is talking about early in Mark chapter 13. You know, I, it seems like we are in a particular season of shaking right now, globally, around the world. So I read an article this week by a um, professor at John Hopkins, a guy named Hal Brands, who I don't believe is writing from any kind of Christian framework. But he said in this article, he said, and I quote, the international order today is under more stress in more places than at any time since the chaotic aftermath of World War II. He mentions Ukraine and Israel and Gaza and Iran. He mentions the growing, growing threat in the Balkans. He mentions China's seeming aggression against Taiwan, North Korea's increasing nuclear capabilities. He says that African coups have become contagious. He mentions the Sudan Civil War. He mentions Latin American democracy eroding. And then he says, it's, it concludes, he says, it's hard to find a major region untouched by this current disorder. Now again, this is not somebody commenting on Mark 13. This is just somebody that's an expert on international relations, saying that we are in a season of great shaking. And if you feel that, if you feel like something is, is being shaken, yet I, you're on to something. But then, you know, there's also like these more personal shakings that are just very personal maybe to you or to your family. Shakings of health problems, or a diagnosis, or um, family shaking, maybe a, a divorce, maybe your divorce, or maybe a family member's divorce, maybe a parent's divorce, or, or a child's divorce, or, or maybe a, a relational loss, or an addiction, or somebody that you love is struggling with addiction or mental illness. And, 
And so there's this time of shaking. And, and Jesus says you're going to be tempted to give in to fear and anxiety. And maybe that's where you're at today. Just a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of gloom. And the question is, how do we stay awake? How do we stay awake when Jesus tells us to stay awake? And then he tells us it's going to be hard to be, stay awake. How do we stay awake? Well, as I was reading this passage and then kind of getting the broader context, Mark chapter 14, other accounts of this same text in Matthew and Luke, here's the answer I think Jesus gives. He actually does give us an answer to that how. And it's really simple. And so I want to unpack it. It's the words work and pray. Watch and pray. Work and pray. Infuse what you do with prayer. It's that whole thing Gary Haugen was talking about. You're doing for Jesus, flowing out of your being with Jesus, first and foremost. Let me start with the, the work part of that. So in verse 34 of Mark chapter 13, our gospel text, Jesus tells this little mini parable, like little, little tiny parable. He says in verse 34, it's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Now, the Greek there is, the Greek language is a little clunky. So it doesn't actually say in charge. It actually says he gives them the authority. He gives them the authority. So he gives each of his, his, his servants the authority. Like authority is like a thing. It's like car keys. It's like the keys to the family car. And God gives them to us and says, hey, here's the keys to the family car. You get to use it. You get to drive it. Now, I find this really interesting because the atheist Richard Dawkins once said that the God of the Bible is, is uh, petty and unjust and a control freak. That's the phrase he used, a control freak. And I see in this passage, Jesus is the very opposite of a control freak. God is actually the opposite of a control freak. He's giving authority away. He gives power away. He's like, I want you to have it. I'm gonna, I have the authority. I have the ultimate authority. But because you're made in my image, you're an image bearer of the living God. I'm going to give some of this to you. So each and every one of you, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how good of a Christian you think you are. I don't care what you've done, what you think you've done with your life. You have some of the authority that comes from God. He has given it to you wherever you are. He has given you a piece of his authority. So the question to ask is, what is my authority? What is the work that he's given to do? To do? And notice it says, to each with his own work. I love that little phrase in verse 34. That just like popped out at me when I'm reading this. To each his own work. So you have your, you have your work. You have your work. You have your work. You have your work. Each one of you has a work that God has given you to do. And if you're younger, let's say you're in high school or junior high or grade school, that authority, the work he gives you, is going to expand. It's only going to expand. As you grow, as you mature, as you move into adulthood, it's going to become clearer. It's going to become deeper. It's going to become broader. So God has tapped you. And God will tap you throughout your life, and he will say, I have a job for you. Just like God tapped Moses and gave him a job. Just like God tapped 
Peter and gave him a job, just like God tapped Mary and gave her a job. God's going to tap you and say, I got something for you. Pay attention. Stay awake for this. I know a young man, um, 20-ish, late 20-ish, was dabbling with drugs, dabbling with addiction, not really getting better. And then all of a sudden, his wife is pregnant, and all of a sudden, it's a major wake-up call for him. And now he's like, oh my gosh, I have more authority than I ever imagined. I, God has tapped me to be now a, a husband to my wife who's pregnant, and I'm going to be a father. i got to wake up. It was a wake-up call for him. Jesus wants us all to have a wake-up call this Advent. So where is your work? To each his own work. What is your work? And you might feel like, well, it's really, it's hidden, it's quiet, it's small, it's unimportant, it's insignificant. And I would say, who told you that you had the right to judge your work insignificant? Like, really? Like, you have the authority to do that? When the living God says, to each his own work? Do you really want to go, you really want to fight God on this? I don't think you do. He has said, your work is significant. It matters. And that's all that counts. It doesn't matter what the world thinks or how the world judges you. It matters what God, how God judges you. So that's, that's our work. But then Jesus also says, work and pray. So if you have your Bibles, flip over with me to Mark chapter 14. So remember um, seven times. Watch, be, be on your guard. Verse 38, watch and pray that you may not enter into, into temptation. Matthew chapter 26, watch and pray. Luke chapter 21, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength. So this watching, this wakefulness, this alertness is always attached to prayer. It is the means of staying awake. It's the fuel for staying awake. So, in the 12th century, there was a man named Bernard of Clairvaux, who was a brilliant theologian, scholar, leader, hymn writer, poet, etc. He wrote um, a series of sermons on the Song of Songs, the, the book in the Old Testament. 85 sermons, actually. You could buy them in a four-volume set. I've read the first two volumes. Um, but in Sermon 18, he uses this image of how we're supposed to live our Christian life. And he talks about how uh, some Christians are more like a canal and some Christians are more like a reservoir. And, but most of us are kind of like both. So here's the difference. A canal, in Bernard's image, is always moving. It's always flowing. It's always giving out. It's always going somewhere. It's active. It's busy. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But a reservoir is like a container. It first fills up. It receives. And then out of that receptivity, it reaches a point where it overflows out of its fullness. And Bernard said, there's too many Christians that are always living like canals. They're just always moving, and they're always flowing. 
And they're always busy, and they're always active. But they're never receiving. They're never filling up. And so they have very little to give, actually, because there's no fullness. It's just all flow and no fullness. And there's too many people that speak before they listen. Too many people that lead others before they're willing to be led by the living God. And, and Bernard said, he, he said, your infusion, your infusion should, should precede your effusion. You're giving out, you're pouring out. And he said, if that's not true in your life, he basically said, I don't want you around me trying to help me because you're not gonna be very helpful. You think you're gonna be helpful, but you may not be. And he actually said this, I quote, he said, help me out of your abundance if you have it. If not, then spare yourself the trouble. In other words, don't bother me if you're not, don't have any fullness in you. Now, I love that because here in this Advent journey, we start this Advent journey together, and we don't do it alone. None of you, we don't have to do it alone. And it's a time to stop and pause and listen. And as the psalmist often did, did in the Psalms, I want you to take some time, speak to your heart. The psalmist speaks to his own soul. I don't know if you noticed that, but a number of times in the Psalms, he actually speaks to himself. He speaks to his own heart. He speaks to his own soul. So ask your soul, ask your heart, how are you in there? Where are you? Where have you been? Where, have you go Where are you going? Are you distracted? Have you fallen asleep? Are you heavy with sadness or fear or hardness of heart? Have you gotten angry? Have you gotten cold? Speak to your heart. And then ask, but then where do I want to be? What do I desire? Because I love that about Advent, and I love that about Jesus. When he says, stay awake, he's not only warning us, which he is, he's not only exhorting us, but he's also inviting us. He's giving us a gift. A wake-up call is a gift. And he would say, I'll just take you exactly as you are, and let's go together. So I reached out to um, um, one of the people in our church who's one of our wonderful spiritual directors, uh, Brenna Jones, and I, I asked her, hey, Brenna, what do you see in this passage? You know, like, like if you were going to give me some advice on this passage, what would you say? And she said this, and I, and I love this, and I quote, she said, notice that Jesus is coming for us is part of the great love story of the Bible. He's coming for us, his beloved, his redeemed treasure, his children for whom he shed his blood and died to make his own. So, and this is Brenna still, to stay awake in Jesus seems more than just a discipline, which it is, but a return to love. I want to stay awake for the one I love and for the one who loves me. I like that. This Advent is a return to love that involves discipline. And I just want to tell you, you go, well, where am I going to do that? Well, I'll get to that in just a minute. But, but just don't forget that every Sunday, the Lord Jesus helps you. Like, he's not going to tell you to do something and then not help you. So what do we hear as we come to the Lord's table? 
The, the priest, Father Steve, today will say these words. We'll say, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. And then when we had sinned against you, you and your mercy sent your only son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. So even here, it's like, it's like a little kid. We're, like, we're all like little kids trying to climb a tree that we can't reach. We can't reach the first branch. That's the Christian life. So Jesus comes along and goes, hey, hey, let me give you a boost. Let me help you up. Let me help you up to that first branch. And then let, let me help you up to the next branch. That's what we do in the Eucharist. Jesus is coming, I know you can't reach that. I know you can't get up there, so let me give you a boost. This Advent, Jesus is calling us to intentionality, to not just coasting through another season. And that's the gift of the church year. It's like, boom, we're starting something. It's new. And you can have a new start. The old can pass away. The new can come. So I encourage you, Think about your life. Think about what you're doing. Think about your schedule. Where can you carve out that time in the morning, in the evening, in the afternoon, whenever it is for you? And I don't know your life, so I don't know how much time you have. But, but it can be regular. It can be intentional. So where is that time where I can hear the words of Jesus, where I can read his words? How good and kind of our Lord Jesus to give us this wake-up call. How loving of him to give us this wake-up call. So Advent, how will you start? How will you spend this next four weeks? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.